Hello and welcome to the At Your Peak Fitness and Wellbeing podcast. I'm Catherine and I help women to ditch yo-yo dieting for good, build strengths and healthy habits that allow them to lose weight and get fitter, stronger and feel more confident all year round. All this without starving or cutting out food they love or missing out on living their best life. I'm so thankful to you that you have chosen to listen to my podcast and help me to change women's life and self-worth for the better. If you enjoy this podcast at all, I would be eternally grateful if you could rate, review and share this episode with anyone who you might think can benefit from it. If you want to work with me so I can help and support you in achieving your peak, please get in touch with me. You can find the details in the show notes. Now, without further ado, let's dive into this week's episode. Hello and welcome to our At Your Peak podcast. I'm super excited because I've got a wonderful guest today with me, uh, which is Dr. Shilpa McQuillan from the Berkshire Menopause Clinic. And uh, Shilpa, do you want to introduce yourself quickly? So thank you, Catherine. Um, my name is Dr. Shilpa McQuillan. I am the clinical lead and founder of Berkshire Menopause Clinic, um, which is a women's health, exclusively a women's health and menopause clinic in Henley. Um, I'm also a community gynecologist and menopause expert for NHS Oxfordshire, and I run a women's health clinic, a GP clinic in a GP surgery as well. Oh, brilliant. And it's like, it's lovely. I've seen you popping up here and there everywhere when it comes to menopause. And it's such an important topic that a lot of my clients um, going through the menopause or perimenopause and um, a lot of my friends are now in the age where they come to it. And it's just wonderful to see that you doing so many educational talks around it and I thought like you would be perfect to come on our podcast and learn a little bit more about it and I've gathered a few questions beforehand from from clients and friends but they are eager to know obviously we only have a, a certain amount of time and we could never cover everything but we're going to highlight a few things and then um, we're going to also tease up a event that we're holding together in February where we can go into all the details of it as well um, so Sherpa do you want to tell us a little bit about why you are passionate about it what is your own journey yeah, absolutely. I actually trained as a hospital gynecologist um, and then I trained as a GP um, and that's quite unique. I feel very, very privileged um, to because it's not often that you get a gynecologist and a GP who've done both training. And for me, the reason it's so privileged, I feel that like I can give an all-rounded approach to women's health care. So why am I so passionate about it is because, firstly, I've done women's health my whole life. Yeah. Uh, I did work experience in India when I was 12, um, you know, look, going to a fertility clinic. Um, I went on my elective to the Outback. Um, of Australia and um, did some obstetrics and gynecology there. So, you know, and I had a really amazing lecturer at university who was really a role model. I felt, you know, um, I could see myself being like her. So that's how the journey started. Um, but I've always been obviously so passionate. I am a big learner, Catherine. I love doing degree after degree after degree, postgraduate oh degree. So I've actually done three extra years menopause accreditation. Um, as well as being a gynecologist and I've done postgraduate scanning as well so you can see why I'm saying all that it's just I'm just so passionate about women's health and now more than ever I think there's so much social media around it yeah and this has been a God, driver, right? it's been a drive of excellence 
But unfortunately, it also means it's very tricky for patients to navigate where's the correct information. Hmm. Because when something like this happens, it's driven by social media. It means that everyone comes as a community to promote it. But it also means that, you know, vulnerable patients don't know where that information is coming from. So you mentioned that I like I do a lot of education and I do. Hmm. This is a major driving point for me. I do education in the community. I do lots of podcasts. I do lots of events. Mm. I go into corporate. Um, I go into schools and teach children now. I saw that. Why is that relevant to menopause? Yeah, not just gynecology, menopause, because they'll know somebody who's going through menopause. And also my ethos is set people up for life, give them longevity, arm them with knowledge, empower them to have that, um, you know, decision-making and if you know about things early on, you're not left suddenly presenting yourself like I get a lot of poor women, you know, almost suicidal at that point where they've had to suffer for so long that they're they're wishing they'd seen me earlier. And so by doing it early in schools and doing lots of education, I write for a newspaper, I write for a magazine, education-based, evidence-based medicine, I write. But I'm doing that so that people can empower themselves so that they're not left in a vulnerable position. Yeah, and, and I think that is really the key kind of like to get the evidence-based education out there because you said it yourself, the social media, there's so much misinformation around there still or suddenly every become everyone becomes the expert in menopause without any medical background, without, yeah, just some experience. But obviously the menopause journey is different for each and every one of us, right? Not everyone has the same symptoms, not everyone... Um, has the same experience going through the menopause. So it's really important that we that we've got that as well. Absolutely. And the important you've mentioned that as so key because for me, it's a term I use, you know, constant is it's individualized care. Everyone is unique. What presents something, you know, you might present with one symptom, I might present with another, but it's yeah. not just presenting with different symptoms. What affects you one way might affect me differently. Yeah. You might get the most horrific night sweats, but that's not what bothers you. Whereas I might get the smallest amount of night sweat and that is taken over my life. So it's about quality of life. How does it affect you as an individual? And that's the ethos of my clinic and how I operate in everything I do is let's look at you as an individual sitting in front of me and address your quality of life and how we can make your life better. Yeah. And I think that it's, it's really important because it looks every, everyone has a different experience. Let's go into, because I appreciate not everyone is into the topic of perimenopause or menopause. What kind of, like, how do I know that I'm in menopause? And I get that actually quite a lot of clients. Like, how do I know that I'm in perimenopause? There's so many symptoms. Are they stress related? Is it something that is perimenopause related? How do we know? Question. And so I guess the, I'm going to answer it in in a, in a, a couple of ways. In the sense that the reason it has been such a mystery mm. is that perimenopause, so this is the time leading up to the menopause, can occur about ten years before menopause. Mm. Menopause is twelve months of having no periods, so it's a retrospective diagnosis. You look backwards, yeah. and if you haven't had any periods for twelve months, that's menopause. But your symptoms can start ten years before that. You may have normal periods. You may get some changes to your periods. And you don't always, and in fact, the earlier you start perimenopause, the less likely you are to get those classical symptoms like hot flushes. Mm. You're more likely to present with mood issues, sleep issues, anxiety, skin hair changes. 
Um, and many women put this down to after having babies, like, you know, I myself have experienced that I've had severe, you know, I have such thick hair, but would you believe I've experienced the worst um, hair loss post-pregnancy, mm. but it goes on for years and years. And then you enter perimenopause and you don't know what's what. Mm. So it's a really good question. And, and it's about taking a symptom history, keep a symptom diary. That's what I tell patients. See if there's any links to your cycle. The thing I get asked a lot, and I'm sure this is one of the bits you're veering at, but what about a blood test? Why can't we just do a blood test? Yeah, but then I think it's fluctuating so much. It's like a point in time you're taking that blood, right? So you don't necessarily know what is causing the hormonal picture from the blood. So what is our hormones fluctuate day to day. Yeah. And they fluctuate hour by hour. So if I did a blood test and you're still having periods, you're still ovulating, yeah. it will be normal. And how many women do you think come to me saying, well, I've had I've had these horrific symptoms. I have been offered a blood test. It was normal. So I've been told this isn't perimenopause. Oh God, yeah. It's perimenopause. And mm. that's why I say a lot of it is symptom control. Uh, a lot of it is um, keeping that diary. Mm. And a lot of the treatments, you know, people might be wondering, yes, but then you're just treating somebody not known for definite, but actually there's so many benefits to treatments, you know, yeah. and treatments aren't just HRT, but that is one of the many, but there are lots of benefits to that as well. Yeah. And I think, yes, there's a lot of kind of like, or from the past misconception of HRT, but HRT can also be something very positive, right? Um, especially when it allows equality for life, but also for the longevity of how, yeah the benefits of it how women then um can go into life after having estrogens level drop um talking about bone mass talking about muscle mass and so on and so forth um that has benefits for it absolutely and this year's um theme was um cardiovascular disease for world menopause day so what you know we have estrogen receptors on every part of the body this is mm. one of the reasons why perimenopause can present in such different ways for people. Skin falling, mm. anxiety for long distance driving, um, gum disease. These are all things that, you know, if you didn't have hot flushes, people would say, well, that's nothing to do with menopause. But this is because we've got estrogen receptors everywhere. Yeah. How many women are misdiagnosed and given antidepressants yeah. for mood disorder when they've never had any mood history, you know, any underlying depression, but they suddenly start to get these hormone changes that causes that. So that's why we're getting... Um, those symptoms and why are there benefits is because of the reason we've got estrogen receptors everywhere by replacing that we're protecting our heart from heart disease yeah we are helping out pre prevent brittle bones breaking bones osteoporosis Osteos, yeah and there's lots of research into the protection for brain cognition yeah how many women say they've got brain fog one of the most commonest yeah. symptoms and so what it's doing, it's helping our cognition as well. Yeah. Do you see actually that some symptoms are more likely to appear in early stages of perimenopause or the early years than other symptoms that are more to the later stage of perimenopause? Absolutely. So you tend to get what we call vasomotor symptoms. They mm. tend to be the hot flushes, the night sweats. They present later on. There mm. are some women who do get that because some women will even say, well, during my period, some women get that fluctuation hormone around their period early and get real sweating. And you know the saying when animals are on heat? Yeah. It's because the progesterone production increases oh, okay. our heat levels, which is why that happens. So many women, even hormonally throughout their years, will experience that. 
And so those, but those types of symptoms tend to present later on. It's the sleep issues. Sleep is a very big issue, okay. you know. About 80% of perimenopausal women will present with sleep issues yeah. and it's anxiety interesting and mood. Because that then, I was about to say, triggers probably a lot of other things like their diet, their like their stress levels, their mood and anxiety levels. Because if we are sleep deprived, even as someone who's not going through menopause, that is it has quite a severe impact on your daily life, right? Absolutely. I mean, the domino effect, the negative domino yeah. effect of no sleep. You know, and it has there's there's biochemical result of it as well. Our stress hormone increases, our cortisol when we don't sleep, our stress, all our hormones are balanced. When one goes out of kilter, it sends off our thyroid, it sends off our blood sugars. So mm. we start to crave that sugary food. You know, when you're really tired, you crave carbohydrates, you oh. crave sugars, don't you? You become more lethargic. So your thyroid goes out of kilter, you're more lethargic, your periods can go out of um, sync. You can see where this is going. Yeah. And then it becomes a down spiral of you not understanding what's going on with you, doubting yourself as well. And then obviously you can see why so many women end up suicidal, quitting their job because they think they, they're not capable anymore and so on and so forth, which is actually really, really sad. Very sad. And you can imagine, you know, we're talking people who have brain fog, who are highly functioning women, who can't even get up to do a presentation and yet they used to present to thousands of people and they're so concerned that they'll forget, you know, that's how bad it is. There's people with, you know, leading up, I said, um, leading up to the menopause, you know, and it's not just menopause. I keep reiterating lots of gynecology conditions out there that we're not talking about fibroids, yeah. endometriosis, you know, we can do other podcasts, Catherine, cause there's lots, you know, I do this all that's the time, lots to talk about, but think about flooding, you know, you suddenly yeah. start to get heavier periods, you're flooding at work. Some people don't have the ability to suddenly run to the toilet. You know, yeah. some people are in the middle of something and they're flooding and, you know, there's not appropriate toilets for them. There's not communal, to there's communal toilets. Yeah. There's not sanitary wear. You know, these, can you believe we're still dealing with in, in even the UK? Yeah, that, that is, that is quite shock shocking because you, you don't always, if you don't have the symptoms, you don't necessarily think about these things and obviously how it impacts in the workplace. I worked as a corporate coach for 15 years and I worked with a lot of women who are having these self-doubts, who are in a um, uh, on, a, on, a, on a conveyor belt and they can't just go off to the toilet to take care of themselves and they sign off. So that causes then a lot of kind of like um, sickness days for the companies as well. Do you feel that actually companies are equipped nowadays to support the, the the woman the employee woman to go through the menopause appropriately it's not the ability to it's how serious they are yeah and you've just hit the nail on the head i actually did a talk recently and the majority of them were men and they looked like they were quite falling asleep when i was talking mm. and then i said you know menopause affects everyone because not only have you got a loved one going through this be it your daughter your wife your mother direct reports your right employees your boss maybe and as well <laughs> you've got employees you've got employers now we want people to be productive at work yeah when are people most productive when they're valued and when they're supported yeah. how do we support people firstly educating ourselves when we are educated we have the tools to therefore support people it's not about money it's not about you know and it costs you more 
to not support employees that then go off sick long term. Whereas if we support yeah. people properly, we put HR policies, menopause policies. I I go into companies, I do HR menopause policies with them. Mm. If we have education for the company, so people are aware, if we have the right sanitation, sanitary, you know, all of these things that might seem so minute, but can make a huge difference. If we mm. have the right person to go to, there's no point, and there's no, here, when I say this, I don't mean this flippantly towards men, but there's no point having a 20-year-old man who has no interest in the menopause as your menopause go-to lead, That's just enough. to tick a box. You need to, and it can be a man, but it needs to be someone who really cares about this and is approachable. And, and if I've got heavy periods, I want to know I can go to, not that you're just doing it because yeah. HR have told you to. So absolutely, there's the ability but you've got to take it seriously. Seriously, yeah. And not just doing a tick box exercise. And unfortunately, that is what I've seen in the past. So hopefully, um, with obviously all the social media attention, with uh, Davina McCall, obviously, as a big advocate of it and getting more popular, um, this topic will actually be taken more seriously. And I've seen it actually in a, in a, in a few companies that it it is getting better as such. Now, one of the things that I'm getting asked now, with my clients, a lot of people are actually on HRT and they don't have a problem. But the next question that they're asking themselves is now, how do I know when I need to come off HRT? So it, obviously that will again be very different for different people. But is there kind of like a, a rule of thumb or something where you say like, oh, actually I can be on HRT for forever? Absolutely. So there used to be all of this worry that you must stop HRT after a few years. You mustn't start continue beyond 60. And I'm going to start, but you know, I will drum this into everyone. Everyone's such individuals. Some people don't even have menopause symptoms. Mm. Some people have symptoms for years. I still have ladies on it at the age of 80. Mm. What I will say is that HRT doesn't delay your menopause because that's mm. what people worry about. Well, I'll come off it and my symptoms are there, that means that what you've done is delay it and now my menopause is starting. That's not what happens. Case, yeah. What it means is everyone's different. Some people will have symptoms for a couple of years, some people for many years. What I always say to women, you know, continue it till about 55. Yeah. If you want to think about coming off, try, but do it slowly so that if you get symptoms, you can go back on it okay. without it being a big drop. But it is okay to be on it long-term. And this is mm. where I was saying to you about when I approach things, it's very all-rounded because it's about longevity. It's about... Absolutely fine to stay on it, but do your yearly blood pressure. Make sure you haven't developed high cholesterol or worrying things that lead to heart disease. Because as women, our natural risk of stroke increases above yeah. the age of 50, 60. And so it's important we're keeping that under control and then you can continue it. One thing to know is, though, that most of your benefits are below the age of 60 or within 10 years of your menopause. Yeah. After that, it's purely for symptom control that you're using it. Oh, okay. That is interesting. I didn't know that as well. So that is a really like a good kind of like gauge on where where we take it and how long we're taking it. Um, so obviously we are a gym. A lot of my clients come to me, not just for fitness, but also for wanting to lose weight, want to feel more comfortable in their body, wanting to get their confidence back. Now, what would you say for someone who's perimenopausal? There's a lot of things like, oh, my, my BMR is dropping and I have to eat really low calories to actually lose weight. It's going to be really difficult. What would you, what advice would you give to someone in that situation? Really good question. And first thing I would say is it's not a quick fix. No. 
we put on weight around perimenopause. One of the things that people, you know, commonest things people say to me is I've got weight gain, but I don't eat differently to what I did before. And it's not that you're doing anything wrong. Be kind to yourself. What's happening is we're losing estrogen. Our body, our, um, sorry, our muscle decreases. Yeah. Our muscle is what helps burn calories. Mm. So it's not that you're doing anything wrong. It's not that you're eating more. You might be eating exactly the same, but we then have to accommodate for what's happening, unfortunately. Unfortunately, that's that's the way. You know, when you finish your teenage years, we, we joke, don't we, when you're in your 30s, oh, it's not like it used to be when I was a teenager. And the same happens midlife, that shift again. again. So first, yeah. be kind to yourself. It's not a quick fix, and it most certainly is not calorie deprivation. This is the mistake people think they need to calorie restrict. Thank it's you. Not, <laughs> it's not how much you eat. It's the way you're eating. It's what yeah. you're eating. You know, it's shifting to Mediterranean diet. It's, you know, doing all these things. And, you know, we could talk, you and I could talk about this all day because it's not a quick fix. It's not a five no. minute conversation. No, absolutely. And again, I talk about those symptom diaries, keep a diary. You wouldn't believe how, and I'm sure you get the same. How many people say to me, but I eat well. And I'll say to them, this isn't me judging you. I don't even have to look at this. Keep a diary. Yeah. Keep a diary of your food for a week. And they'll come back to me and they'll say, do you know what? I didn't even realize I had a work do. Yeah. And I'd, you know, quickly eaten a piece of toast, white toast yeah. you know, on the way. And then I felt hungrier because I hadn't had lots of protein and, you know, yeah. all those things. So and drink, don't forget drinks. People think, well, I'm not drinking alcohol, but then they're having mixes that are full of sugar. Yeah. You know, so keeping that diary is a really good identifier for ourselves. Yeah. And, you know, think of it as a long journey. I and. And the other thing I really like to approach is don't dictate to people. I never dictate to people. Let's do what's right for you. Me telling someone who has social phobia to go to a gym and watch men, uh, uh, you know, yeah. screaming. <laughs> Say you stop to McQuillan and walk out. Instead, we have to approach it in a way of what do you enjoy doing? Yeah. Let's get you doing that. And even if it's walking and you can't manage much, just start a little bit yeah. for now. Do what you can and we'll build it up. Yeah. It's not a fast race. Which is which is healthier anyway, right? Because when you suddenly come from 2,000 steps a day and going up to 10,000, 12,000 steps, you're most likely to pick up other injuries with it as well. So actually starting slowly, manageable, but over a long time more continuously is much better than doing it for three days, think like, oh, I can't deal with this. I'm not doing it at all, right? Absolutely. And it's about, um, the, you know, the, don't forget the type of exercise, you know, I'm my own worst enemy. I love hit training is brilliant. And I'm sure you'll agree with this. Yeah. But, but don't forget our cortisol levels rise when we I stress our bodies out. And that can worsen things. So I have to also be very mindful that as well as doing, you know, hit training, exercising, because it's brilliant, because it's also, you know, it's working your muscles, you want balance in there. You want mm. things like yoga and, and weights, because what happens? osteoporosis our, our bones become brittle so we want to build the muscle and ligaments around that to support them these are all things that will help yeah. increase muscle mass muscle mass helps burn calories so these things are going to help so mm. do your cardiovascular because that helps our heart health yeah but we need to balance it with other more slow burning exercises alongside it and don't forget mental health yeah. so people say to me i'm going to fit in a run but they're they're screaming anxiety but your mental health and mental health exercises are just as important yeah. as going for that run. Doing and, meditation. 
doing mindfulness these are all equally as important yeah and it's quite interesting because a lot of people that come to me and obviously we go in the gym they come here the first goal is kind of like oh I want to get stronger and I want to lose weight that are by far the most kind of like first goals and then I give after our kickstarter program I give them a like a, a, a feedback um questionnaire and ask like what have you achieved and so like oh actually it's yes I, I lost pounds and I lost circumstances and I feel better in my clothes but most importantly I feel better in myself my mental health I'm more resilient I can better deal with work stress and so on and so forth so um all of these elements actually show how important it is um to work not just to lose weight or to be better looking but actually for your mental health and um it's quite interesting we're doing in our gym quite a lot of strength training because people don't want to do this jumping around for 45 minutes hit training as i say i agree hit training is brilliant but one of the things they say like i rather do the calmer ones because i'm be more in the moment but also still grow my muscles that then helps with symptoms and helps with bone brittle this isn't a substitute. This is really good yeah. stuff. Yeah. And and let's not forget, we train is high intensity, but it can be modifiable. Exactly. So even when I talk about it, it's not about getting people to jump up and down. If just doing squats and things to build your muscles is Absolutely. what you're capable of and want, then it's accommodative as well, isn't it? But what Absolutely. you're talking about shouldn't be a substitute. Absolutely around perimenopause, this is the kind of exercise we need to be doing, you know, small, you know, using weights, building muscle, building ligament strength. These are things that protect our bones. Yeah. And like you say, the other thing I uh, term I use is social prescribing. So you oh, can exercise that. alone, but there's nothing better than getting with a group of like-minded people supporting each other. It builds your, you know, it lifts your happy hormone, brings up your mental health, these kind of exercises, whatever it is, whether it's walking by the river, having a coffee or coming to your gym, you get that group mentality, don't you? And I call it social prescribing because you're prescribing social well-being rather than medication. Yeah, absolutely. And it's and actually, like with, I think through through COVID, we actually really felt it how it changed for some of us who are quite social butterflies, not being able to see other people. So how what impact this social prescription has actually on our mental health? Such a difference. Um, I mean, yeah. I had a baby in lockdown. Oh, bless you. Yeah, so for me, I was very lucky as a doctor, not only a doctor, I was an obstetrician, so I didn't need much help. You know, I knew what to do with him if something was wrong. And yeah. I knew what when what to look for when something was wrong and what was wrong. So I was very, very lucky because not everyone had that. And also, you know, there wasn't that necessary all available healthcare system. But what really helped me was that ability to go outside and walk with a pram. Yeah. You know, six meters apart with a friend along the river. The lifesaver, right? Lifesaver. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Which brings me also... Sorry, yes, go ahead. All I was going to say is COVID has impacted a lot of people's periods and Mm. hormone health as well. Um, You know, so there's lots of things that, that have come from that that... That is doing exercise and 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 eating well can, can really benefit you there. That is really interesting. And I don't want to go into much detail of here just because we 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 are short on time. But what I really noticed is after COVID jab, my period became very different, irregular. For it's it's normalized now, but it was. And I was thinking, like, is this is this normal? Um, is this like 
related or not. Yeah, so it was really interesting. And I noticed from now other people talking about it as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, two questions that I want to ask, well, actually three, but one is if you're not yet in perimenopause, um, I know a few of my friends and some of my clients also have almost kind of like get already stressed about it and think like, oh my God, I'm dreading this time. Is there something you would suggest or advise to say like, okay, this is so you can do to prepare yourself best for perimenopause? Um, yeah, is there anything? Absolutely. So I believe in prevention rather than firefighting. Yeah. So for me, I will have women come and see me in my clinic who say, I'm not even in perimenopause. I just wanted to come and speak to an expert about what I may be expecting. We know everyone's different, but what I could expect, what options, treatment there are. So you could come and see somebody like me, an expert. I have lots of free resources on my website as well. So this isn't just about you have to come and pay to see an expert. You know, people like me do lots of free education. So on my website, I do, you know, loads and loads of leaflets about perimenopause, what different treatments there are. We, I talk about lifestyle and um, all these things. Um, obviously, going to your GP is a point of call. But I appreciate, you know, as a GP myself, 10 minutes is really not long enough to talk about this. And one bit of advice, you can look up information, but please do it from a reputable site because... You know, I think it's fantastic how many people have have really got out there and talking about menopause. But 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 even as a specialist, I can see how navigating for people who don't know what's the correct information can be difficult. So, you know, go on the British Menopause Society, got, got some great resources on there. And look, and if you want to see a specialist, look up on your on there, and that is where you'll find a true specialist. So a British menopause accredited specialist you can find in your area. So these are the kind of resources that that I would say are really useful. Brilliant. And I will put obviously your clinic as well as uh, the British Menopause Society link underneath this podcast. So whoever reads it can do that. And obviously, if you are want to talk to us, you can also come to our event on the 8th of February, right? You've got a, in a, a whole evening um, from 7 p.m. onwards in Shinfield. You can get tickets uh, for it. Um, yeah, and it's going to be a great event where we're going into much more detail and we can obviously cover a lot more things on there. Now, one of the questions I want to ask, if you are a partner of someone going through this, what advice would you give? involved so when I do my talks Catherine I encourage partners to come I encourage employers to come because as I said it affects everybody and the thing is it, it's a two-way communication so I'll just as equally say to patients communicate with your partner maybe they don't realize what's going on maybe they aren't you know they, what's visible to you what's happening to you inside doesn't mean that it's visible to our loved ones and so I encourage partners to come to appointments because then we have a three-way very nice three-way open conversation um i'll get partners contact me directly and say you know I, you know my wife needs an appointment i'll say come with her come to educational talks make yourself informed and when we do our um event i'm going to go into myth busters and menopause I, i've also got some uh links to some good books that partners um, can look at um if you want to give them but it'll be January then. But if you want to give them a birthday present, they might not be pleased. But um, I've heard a, very, a lot of good stories about some of these resources that are great for partners. And and of really? course, partners working in um, companies, you know, get involved. You know, don't be that person who goes, this doesn't involve me. I won't go to that seminar or it doesn't involve me. 
I won't listen. Be engaged, be, you know, listen, um, be supportive and encourage your partner, you know, because as I said, it's not just about medication, it's lifestyle. So, you know, do things together, go for a walk with your partner if that's what you both find enjoyable together. You know, I cook with my husband. I mean, I'm a big cook. I cook everything from scratch and I always have done, but make it enjoyable, do it together. So you both feel supported to eat healthy. You can still eat gorgeous food, but it'd be healthy. So work as a partnership. That's what I'd say. Yeah. And I think that's really important because it's also an opportunity to connect, reconnect with your partner. I mean, midlife is such a difficult time for for women, but also it's a time where you almost have a little bit of an emptiness syndrome sometimes. There's also kind of like, then you are suddenly alone with your partner again, which can also bring other challenges with this. So it's also a really good opportunity to reconnect with someone which you might have lost over the years a little bit. Absolutely. And, you know, there's lots of symptoms. Don't forget how many women come to me with low libido. It's not a quick fix of just, you know, shoving some medication at people. It's about taking an interest in their life and actually what's going on. And if you're sleeping in separate bedrooms or you've lost that connection, no amount of things like testosterone are going to help you. And that's where it's really important to highlight this, you know, connect with your partner and they can support you through this. And like you say, it's, it's reconnecting can also help your mental health again so many positive effects of involving your family and the children absolutely absolutely and you said you were uh, at schools as well to to speak to it and actually one of my clients works at that school and she said like it was fantastic absolutely brilliant she, she absolutely loved it um one last question because we're running out of time a little bit um if someone um is kind of like going through menopause and really want to have some help and can't maybe afford private clinics and stuff like that what would you recommend them how to approach their doctor and not being dismissed because we know how difficult it is sometimes to get to the right doctor and get the right questions across yeah really important so keep symptom diary firstly be armed with your uh information beforehand Um, almost yeah absolutely you know go to the talks that we do yeah. Arm yourself in, look up information, see what, what's going on and write it down. Make a list, make a bullet pointed list. You can go to your NHS. Can I just doctor. ask that? Is there somewhere on the menopause uh, side or on your side a list of symptoms that that you maybe would be surprised to see that people can look up so to? There's something called the Green Climacteric Scale. So you can Google it. And that's a list of it's a national symptom list that we use. So when I when patients come to my clinic beforehand, they'll do a symptom and I'll often use it to see if treatment's working by doing a series of symptoms. But you can Google that and you can find it free on um, you know, if you Google uh, that symptom questionnaire. Um, so that's one thing to do. Most regions have NHS-based menopause experts. So I'm an NHS uh, menopause expert for Oxfordshire and Berkshire. So yeah. there are there are nhs based that your doctor can refer you to brilliant as well so these are the kind of places you can go to seek help without it being private as well yeah excellent oh that is amazing thank you so much shilpa i know we are running a little bit out of time um but it was lovely to have you on our podcast and i'm really really looking forward to our event on the 8th of february I hope we get a lot of uh, women so we can spread the word of education and get them uh, out there and um, yeah, is there anything that you would like to kind of like finish off with? Yeah, Who is listening to this? Obviously, you know, please do attend our events. If you can't, 
you know, do, as I said, I've got lots of free resources, but, you know, whoever you are, this will affect you somehow, you know, be prepared, you know, don't wait for things to get bad. If you're a partner listening, support, you know, ask your partner, be inquisitive, you know, do Mm. things together. If you're going through the menopause and you're feeling really vulnerable, then contact someone you trust, you know, contact a doctor that you feel will be kind and supportive to you. And, you know, we're coming up to uh, to Christmas, um, Catherine, and, um, you know, many people struggle, don't they? Christmas isn't a joyous time for everybody. If you're suffering from mental health, throw in hormones into that, throw in the fact if you're hosting Christmas and this becomes such an overwhelming. So, you know, just be very... Um, uh, vigilant of your own mental health you know there's lots of mental health resources there's mind good samaritans and yeah. um you know just take care of yourself you know delegate communicate with whoever you're spending christmas with because you never know they might just not know what you're going through and you know christmas has become this hype but if we took step back you know it's... don't put the pressure take the pressure off it's about simple things, right? And finding some time to relax and going out for a walk and not kind of like indulge in all the stresses that we can do um, is really important during that time. We talked about money. If you don't want to spend um, you know, money on a menopause clinic, book yourself a massage. I know that's what I'd like to do in January. Oh, you know, feeling stressed about Christmas, book yourself a lovely massage. There's lots of free apps, Calm app, Headspace. Yeah. These are all great apps. Um, and actually, I've written an article. Again, it's free on my website, but I've just written an article about Christmas. Um, I will make a link to it as well. Yeah, about okay. things that you can do to try and support yourself. Excellent. Thank you so much. We're running really out of time now. I've got about 40 seconds or something. But thank you so much, Philippa. Really appreciate that. And it was lovely having you. Thank you. Nice to see you. Thank you. Bye. Thank you so much for listening into today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it and I hope you could take something away from it. If you think this episode is beneficial for someone else, please make sure to share it with them. As a coach, it is my mission to help as many women as possible. And by sharing this podcast, you can help me to achieve this. If you want anything covered in the future, please make sure to let me know and I'll do my best to cover it in the future episodes because this podcast is really for you and to help you in your journey to become happier healthier and more confident and if you want to work with me in more detail um, as a one-to-one client um, as part of the peak strengths online club or as a small group pt in my gym then please let me know and i'm more than happy to get you started on the journey to feel confident all year round You can find my contact details in the show notes and I hope to hear from you soon. Enjoy your day and speak to you soon.